We're looking in the book of Hebrews this morning. Our scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I would invite you to read this together with me as we read it from the board. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time, asking for his illumination. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the truths that we have sang this morning together. May they have been glorifying to you, edifying to our hearts, sanctifying to our hearts and minds, Lord, and inspiring as we think and we consider that Christ gave his life for us. Lord, this is a Sunday that we commemorate in which Christ went into Jerusalem to the, uh, to the cheers of crowds and the waving of palm leaves, and yet, Lord, to his death. And Father, we pray that as we come to this time to look at your word, we pray that we would remember Christ, that he is our all in all. He is our Savior and God. He has everything we need for life and godliness. And Father, for those who have asked petition of our prayers, we pray that you would be with each and every one of them. But for now, Lord, we do pray that you would move me aside and that you would speak to the hearts of every person here the word that you have for us this morning. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. And Lord, help us to have a higher view of God than what we had when we came. It is in your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're kind of pulling double duty this morning. We are looking at this passage in light of it being Palm Sunday, Uh, but we're also continuing this series that we started out a few weeks ago, and that is, you could say, uh, we're just kind of working step by step through a biblical theology of ministry. We, we started out with our ultimate purpose, which is to glorify God. We've moved into the, the provision which God provides for us to do that, which is Jesus Christ himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And then we saw how the, how the church is the means by which that message is brought to the world that he gifted us with gifts and he gifted us with abilities to be able to bring that message and bring that truth to people and to the community so that they can know Christ and that they can be saved from their sins. 
And so then last week, we looked at how does the church do that? And we looked at uh, what is historically known as the means of grace. Uh, some people don't like that. And so we call it God's means of growth. How does, how does the church, as you as a Christian, how do you grow to maturity in Christ in the church? What are the activities we do? And we saw that they were summarized in Acts chapter 2, that we uh, give attention to the teaching of the apostles. We, we give attention to worship, and we give attention to fellowship. And so those are kind of the three kind of summary views that uh, really you could kind of fit everything else into. And so, but now we're going to ask the question, how do we, uh, when we are doing these things, what is the content of it? What is it that we are pointing everybody back to? And I believe, uh, hopefully by now, you should probably already know the answer to this. And that is, it is Christ himself. Our goal is not to um, indoctrinate you into some philosophy or some, um, or some worldly endeavor. Our goal is not to turn you into social activist. Our goal is to teach you uh, Jesus Christ and him as Lord so that you will be able to grow in him and know him as your Savior, your Lord, and your friend. That's what we want to do. And in con conjunction with Palm Sunday, as Christ rode in to uh, the Jerusalem that day and was met with all that exhortation, he came in order that he will be everything that we need for life and godliness in this world. And we always talk about that Jesus died for our sins, and that is a wonderful truth, Amen. But that is not the fullness of his ministry. That's not all he did. He actually did more. And we're going to see that. And he continues to do more in our lives today. The, the fullness of his ministry was not um, exhausted in the cross. It certainly culminated in the cross. But it was not exhausted. He, do, he does so much more and he is so much more. And we're going to see that in, uh, in this wonderful summary at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And so what we're going to see is simply that as a church, when we uh, worship, when we fellowship, when we attend to the apostles' teaching, what are we doing? We are proclaiming Christ in all that we do. In everything we do, we proclaim Christ and we proclaim the fullness of Christ. We proclaim all of his work. And what do we mean by that? And we're going to see in this verse that there are some wonderful truths that are summarized here. And so number one, as, uh, as the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, by the way. Uh, I've got a really good friend who is pretty adamant that he says Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And that's okay. He has every right to be wrong. We, we, don't know, we don't know who it was, but uh, we do know that whoever it was was inspired by God, and that's what really matters. And so uh, the inspiration, under inspiration, the author wrote uh, that long ago, in many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We're, we're just going to kind of skip over that for sake of time. But in verse 2, it says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And I want you to see that Christ is, first of all, we proclaim Christ as our prophet. He is our prophet. 
prophet. He says in these last days. Now he's not referring to the apocalypse. He's not referring to the end of time when he says these last days. But what he is doing is that he's invoking an Old Testament phrase that when the prophets looked forward to the time that Messiah would be reigning, they referred to that time as the last days. And now the Hebrew author, uh, what he is saying is that we are now in these days, the promised Messiah is reigning. And whereas before he revealed himself through various portions and through various means, in these last days, in this time, he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, his son. Everything before led to Jesus. Everything promised finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Everything left incomplete is completed in Jesus. God has spoken in Jesus Christ. He is our prophet. He is our truth. He is everything that we need to know. And so how does God speak through Jesus? Well, number one, Christ reveals God to us. He reveals God. Uh, now, there's a lot of several, a lot of popular preachers on TBN today and such like that. And they'll say that when Jesus did the things he did, he did not do them as God, but he did it as a man who was fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And you can be too. Beloved, that is not what the Bible teaches. That is heresy. There was never a time when Jesus was not God. They've missed the point. Christ is God, man. He is fully God and fully man. And all of his acts, works and deeds, he did as God incarnate. He did them as God. And the text makes that very clear. Look at verse two. That through whom he created the world. Who did God create the world through? Who created the world? It was Jesus. Jesus did. The entire universe was created through him. When Jesus had authority over nature, when he walked on water, when he calmed storms, when he turned water into wine, he was displaying himself as the creator who had authority over creation. Beloved, Jesus didn't walk on water to show you how you can walk above your problems. He walked on water to show you he is God because only God can walk on water. Only God makes a pathway on the seas. Look at verse three. He is the radiance of his glory. It's like light that comes from the sun where the sun would be the source and the light is, is everything we get from the sun. Christ is the shining forth of God's glory. I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. I believe in Jesus in the same way that I believe in the sun, not because I see it, but by it, I see everything else. And in the same way, Jesus is the radiance. He is the outshining of the glory of God. He is the light that goes forth. And when Christ displayed his power over death, when he displayed his authority over demons, when he displayed his power over disease, when he displayed his power over all of these things, over sickness, he was shining forth the glory of God. He's doing all these things as God. Verse three, he's exact, he is the exact representation of his nature. Christ's victory over temptation, Christ's willingness to heal, Christ his tears over despair and brokenness. All of this shows us the character of God. When he won victory over temptation, he showed us his holiness. 
When he was willing to heal, he showed us his mercy. When he cried over despair and when he broke down over the brokenness of humanity, he showed his compassion. Everything he did displayed Christ is God with us. He is God, man. And then he also spoke as God. That when Christ spoke, he did not speak as a messenger from God, but when Christ spoke, it was God himself speaking. In fact, uh, uh, John chapter eight, verse 28, he says something very similar. He says that when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. In other words, when Christ spoke, he was revealing the Father, the words and the thoughts and the truths of the Father. All the other messages before him, they spoke, when the prophets spoke, they spoke as messengers of God. They delivered messages either from God or about God. They said, thus says the Lord. And yet when Jesus spoke, God spoke. When Jesus taught, it was God that was teaching. He was not merely a messenger from God. He was God speaking. God himself revealing himself to us. He is God. Whereas the prophet said, thus says the Lord, Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you. He spoke as God. He revealed God to us. In fact, we see this, Hebrews uh, chapter two, verse three. Most of us don't even have to turn the page. You say, Randy, where, where are you getting this from? In chapter two, verse three, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and attested to us by those who heard. Beloved, when you open this book, you have the attestation and the confirmation of those who heard the very words of God in Jesus Christ. You have the confirmed account of who Jesus was, what he did, what he said, and what he accomplished. That confirmation is given to us in the scriptures. So what does this mean for us? We should not be looking for any further revelation. We should not be looking for dreams or visions or don't put your trust in those kinds of things. Uh, one of the popular TBN speakers says that Jesus Christ appears with him on stage all over the world. Of course, it never happens where there's cameras present. Beloved, he's a liar. He's a liar. Don't trust in those things. We should not be looking for further revelation. What we should be doing is seeking a better and deeper understanding in Christ our Lord. That's what we should be doing. Through the power of the Holy Spirit growing deeper in relationship to Jesus Christ, that's what we do. And when we preach, when we teach as a church, when we're attending to the apostles' doctrine, what we are doing is we are leading you into a deeper relationship with him so that you will know him and that you will grow to love him and you will know how to grow deeper in him. Deeper fellowship through knowing and living the word. That is why we proclaim Christ our prophet so that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? So we must know Christ, our truth. He is our prophet who spoke to us, and he is the one who reveals God to us. He is our prophet. But we also proclaim Christ as our king. We also proclaim Christ as our king. And look what we, and we see this in a couple of key words in the verse. In verse two, it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. I want you to notice that Christ, we, when we proclaim Christ, we proclaim him as the heir, as the heir, not the air like, you know, we breathe, but you know, you, you see it. The word heir is, is simple enough. It simply means the same way that we use it today, that this is the one who has inherited a possession. It's the one who inherits. But in the Old Testament, there was an expectation that the promised heir, the promised king would inherit the kingdom and that all the world would come to him. Look at Psalm, uh, look at the second Psalm, Psalm chapter two. And I want you to see this because this is where the author is getting this from. In Psalm chapter two, it's, a, it's what we call a, a kingship psalm. It's a, it's a messianic psalm, if you will. It looks forward to the time that the Davidic king is gonna be on the throne. And specifically down, uh, you, you should really read the whole psalm, but, but uh, for sake of time, looking at verses six through eight, It says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. So there's the sonship language. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. By the way, there's the begotten language that God sent his only begotten son, right? And then in verse uh, eight, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession, And the author of Hebrews is picking up on that and he's saying that when Christ rose from the dead, God appointed him as the promised heir of Psalm 2. That Christ is the heir, the one who inherits the nations and the uttermost parts of the earth. He inherits the kingdom. Christ as God created the heavens and the earth and now in his role as the risen king, he has inherited God's kingdom, which means everything. Is there anything in here that God does not rule over? Nothing. Is there anything in our lives that God is not sovereign over. Nothing. He is the absolute and total king. In fact, you can see this. You know, the measure of an ancient king was that he could speak a word and it would be done, right? In fact, you, and you see that in, uh, in, in Genesis chapter one. And God said, and what happened? And it was, and God said, and it was, and God said, and it was. The measure of the power of the king is the power of his word to get things done. And what we see here, even in this verse, it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God said, until that time, there will be morning and evening. And it, and it was. And to this day, it still is. And this is the basis of everything we do. Everything we do. Remember the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. We always start with, go ye therefore, 
make disciples of all nations. But what does it say right before that? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Christ is king. And in deference to our landmark, friends, I do not see any transfer of authority to the church in that verse. Christ does not say, authority has been given to me, therefore I give it to you. He does not say that. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Christ is the authority. He is the king. He is the one and only king. In the name of Jesus, Psalm, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter, three, chapter two, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Daniel chapter seven, the son of man has inherited, he has come into his kingdom and he has taken his throne. And we see this strengthened in verse three. At the end of verse three, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see Christ as heir, but we also see Christ on high. We see him on high. This phrase on high is always associated with God as possessor of the earth. It goes all the way back to Genesis 14. Uh, And you may remember this. I'm not sure if I had this on the board or not. Genesis 14, nine, you might wanna look at this later. But this is the um, uh, Genesis 14, 19, excuse me. Genesis 14, 19, this is the uh, priest Melchizedek. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram, the God, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And then, of course, it's said again in verse 22. And so when this phrase, God on high, most high, it's associated with God's possession of all things. And so whenever Christ sits down at the right hand of majesty on high, he is placed at the highest place of honor in all the universe. His is the name that is above every name. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Christ is the only King of the earth. And all other kings will bow to him. I love what Grace Community Church wrote when they chose to defy Governor Newsom in California and begin to meet. The title of their document was Christ is King of the Church, not Caesar. And beloved, I'm gonna tell you something. This has nothing to do with the First Amendment. I love the First Amendment. I'm thankful for the First Amendment. But if they take the First Amendment away, you know what I'm gonna be doing? Right here, doing the same thing because Christ is King not Caesar. Christ is king, not the president. Christ is king. That doesn't mean we defy our human authorities. No, when they command us to do things that are in keeping with biblical authority, we do it. But when they tell us to disobey God, we don't. And we accept the consequences. And so, because Christ is king over it all, they could do nothing to us had God not given them authority. You remember what Jesus told Pilate when Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to crucify you? What did Jesus say? You have no power over me, but only what God has given you. And so beloved, Christ is king. And how do we apply this? We have this amazing picture of Christ's enthronement in Revelation 5. And in Revelation 5, when Christ 
ascends to the throne and he takes his place at the right hand of the majesty on high. I want you to see this. It says, talking about the church, it says, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Our goal, our job here on earth, the reason why God keeps us here is so that we might reign with Christ. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we are kings? No. Does that mean that we are queens? Well, lady, may, ladies, maybe in your house you are. I know Roxanne certainly is, but no. <laughs> what does it mean? It means that our job, our role, this rule, this reign that we do is that we bring the reign of Christ into our lives. We bring it into our every aspect of our lives. We bring it to our family, to our children, to our church, to the extent that's possible. We bring it to our community. Any and everything that we do, we do in obedience to God, in obedience to Christ, to the glory of God, to the glory of Christ. And when we bring the reign of Christ into our lives, that is how we are fulfilling Christ as our King. That it's not a political thing. I, I have a really good friend who, who says, you know, when I reign with Christ in the millennium, I want to ask Christ if I can reign over Savannah, Georgia, because that's his hometown and he loves it, you know. But that's not what that's talking about. We're not talking about becoming physical, geopolitical kings here. We're talking about bringing the reign of Christ into our church bringing the reign of Christ into our homes, bringing the reign of Christ into our lives. That's what that's talking about. And how do we do that? Through obedience and submission to the word of God. That's how we do that. That's how we reign as Christians. That's how we rule. In evangelism, we seek to expand his kingdom, not with sword, not with coercion, but with the word and with love. In discipleship, we seek to teach and help others and ourselves to bring our lives into greater submission to the scriptures, greater submission to Christ. This, this is how we reign with him. When, this is the basis of evangelism, that we are bringing the kingdom of God into the lives of people who don't know Christ. And we're working to expand that kingdom we become kingdom focused. We're not, we're not building our own little kingdom in Calvary Baptist Church. We're not building our own little kingdom for Randy Scott or for, for anything else. We are, we are kingdom focused in that we are looking to build the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing. And that's how we proclaim Christ as our king. He is our king. He is our prophet. But then we finally see in, in one little phrase in verse three, and we come to uh, our emphasis for Palm Sunday. We proclaim Christ as our prophet. We proclaim Christ as our king. And we proclaim Christ as our priest. There's one little phrase in verse three. It says that after making purification of sins, that's a powerful phrase, powerful phrase that it's packed with significance. And the book of Hebrews is gonna spend a lot more time on this. In fact, if you wanna turn there just real quick, uh, show you one passage, 
Hebrews chapter nine, verses 24 through 26. It says, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ has put away sin, our sin, by the sacrifice of himself. And he appears before God on our behalf. He is our priest. And so through Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. Amen? We have the forgiveness of sins. Our sin and our guilt has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. It has been taken away. We have been, though we were sinful and red as scarlet, he has made us white as snow. We have the perfect, abiding, everlasting forgiveness of sins. And do you realize that for, that for Christ to take you away, for Christ to remove you from his love, he would have to die all over again? You think that's gonna happen? No. We have the continual, abiding, everlasting forgiveness of sin. Christ offered himself once for all. And therefore, we are saved to the uttermost. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of my good works. It's not what it says. According to the riches of his grace. Let me ask you a question. How rich is God's grace? How unbelievably rich is our Father? We will spend all eternity learning the depths of his grace and we will never exhaust the subject. And according to that grace, your sins are forgiven. And as much grace as you need is as much as he provides. And there is a never-ending supply. Christ has solved the tension, the problem of how a just God can be merciful, how a holy God can forgive sin. He has solved that by making purification for sins on the cross for us. And that's not all, but we also have new life in him. Christ is at the right hand of the Father now, interceding for us. He is now right there representing us to God the Father. And we have everything we need in him. We have been made new. We are a new creation. The old is gone. I am new in Christ. I'm not defined by my old sins anymore. I'm not defined by, uh, those things don't define my life anymore. Christ is my new definition. Christ is now who it's all about. And now I'm free to live in a way that pleases him. 
I now have freedom in Christ to choose not to sin. I'm raised to walk in newness of life and we have life in his name. Before Christ, we're all sinners doomed to eternal damnation. The wages of sin is death. And yet the gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is salvation. He made purification of sin the, own, the way that only he could. There was no other way. And to this day, there is still no other way. Let me paint a picture for you. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying that, Father, if there be any way, then let this cup pass from me. Beloved, we always read over that. We always kind of skip over that. But let that sink in. That here was God the Son praying to God the Father for this cup to pass from me. And in the first time in the history of God himself, that is to say, in the history of all eternity past, God the Son cried out to God the Father and heard nothing but silence. For the first time in the history of God, God the Son's prayer went unanswered. God the Son was told no. Why? For you. For me. Because there was no other way. God the Son was rejected by God the Father so that you and I can be accepted into eternal salvation. I'm forgiven because He was forsaken. I'm accepted. He was condemned. Amazing love, how can it be that Christ, my God, would die for me? And so many years ago, on the day that we commemorate today, Christ rode into Jerusalem fully knowing, fully aware of what he was about to endure. And so as we go into this week that's traditionally called Holy Week, I pray that we will stop to think of the cost of what our souls cost our dear Savior. And if you are here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, do you know what Jesus did? Do you know the anguish? Do you know the pain? Forget the physical pain, the spiritual pain of feeling the entire weight 
of our sin on that cross. Have you just thought about it? Have you considered it? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray that you will. And it's with that thought that we want to enter into our time of communion together. So as we do, I just want to keep that in mind. That Christ, his body was broken, his blood was spilt so that you and I can have new life in Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not the end of the story. Yes, Good Friday is coming, but Easter is on the way. And Christ rose from the grave. Why? Because it was enough. There's nothing left that you must do except place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, trusting him to forgive your sins. And if you don't know, if you don't have the forgiveness of sins, you can have that today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. And Lord, now as we come to partake in this visual word, this symbolic gesture, this symbolic meal that commemorates your body and blood, Lord, I pray that once again you will touch our hearts, touch our souls, and make us more like you. In the scriptures in Psalm 139, the psalmist prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to give you a moment to pray that prayer and to bring any confession, any known sin to confession of our Lord. Please do that now.